Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Jesus said, I came to give you life that you might have it more abundantly. He says, but the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, have life to its fullest. And Satan is on a wicked path to try to uh, steal and kill and destroy as many people as possible. And suicidal thoughts, that's from Satan. Just the idea that life is not worth living and, and, I, and I, just, I should just check out because, you know, I can't make it and, and life is terrible and nobody loves me, nobody cares. In today's message, Pastor Gary will warn you that while God is fully capable of protecting us, that doesn't mean that there isn't someone out to get us. The Bible reminds us that Satan is a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, you've got a target on your back. The enemy of your soul will try to do whatever it takes to try to get you to leave God behind. So when the struggles feel too close and too tough, lean on the Lord and He will defend you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew chapter 17 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Peter said to Jesus, Lord... It is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, again, you know, Peter, he's going to speak up. He's the bold one. He's the talk first, think later guy. And uh, sometimes he says brilliant things, and sometimes he says not so brilliant things. This is one of those kind of borderline not so brilliant things. In fact, uh, Wearsby, in writing his commentary, says that when God speaks... God rebukes. There's a rebuke here because um, it says in verse 5 that while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so it's a, it, it's, while he was still speaking, okay, God interrupts him. That's what the text says. So Peter's like, you know what, Jesus? We ought to build one shelter for you, one shelter for Moses, one... This is my beloved son in whom I am well... Stop your yapping, all right? You know, listen to him. Now, the reason why guys like Wearsby believe, and I think it's true that Peter is getting this mild rebuke from heaven here, is because in a sense what Peter is doing is he's putting Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah. He's saying, we need to build three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He's putting Jesus on the same plane with Moses and Elijah. And God comes along and speaks from heaven, and he says, no, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
He's distinct and different and superior than and to Moses and Elijah. He's the son of God. Now, uh, Mark, when he writes his gospel, he, he inserts parenthetically right here. Mark puts, Peter said this, but he didn't know why he said it. That's what, Mark, that's what Mark says about Peter. He says, Peter said this and he had no idea what he was saying. He just, you know, came up with this idea at the moment. Like, you know what? We ought to build some shelters. Let's just build some shelters. Mark goes, ah, he didn't know what he was saying. Uh, and so it's just kind of the guy that Peter was. But, you know, I understand in a feeling sense, why is Peter wanting to do this? He's wanting to preserve this glorious moment. I mean, this is, he, yeah, he is. He's just wanting to, there's no chance to get out his phone and take a picture here, okay? There's no way to preserve this. He's just like, let's build a shelter. Let's just stay here and camp out. Now, remember, there's nine other guys at the bottom of the mountain. Nine other apostles are left back in the mountain. Peter doesn't care a bit. I mean, I wouldn't care either. If I'm seeing Jesus glowing here like a nuclear radiating thing in front of me, and then there's Moses and Elijah, I'm like, let's build some huts. Let's camp out. I'm liking this. Who's brought some s'mores? Let's do this. By the way, how is it that Peter, living hundreds of years, in fact, in relation to Moses, 1,450 years after Moses, in relation to the period of the kings, about a thousand years after Elijah, and Peter recognizes them. He's never met them. How is it that he recognized Moses and Elijah, that he even knew that this is Moses and this is Elijah? We ought to build huts for them. This is a text that reminds us of this reality, which is important for us to note. Have you ever wondered when you get to heaven if you're going to really recognize your loved ones? People who have gone on before you who know Christ as Savior, and they're in heaven now. I mean, is everybody going to go around going, you know, who are you? Do you have name tags? Are they passing out name tags in heaven? Because I don't know who you are. But instead, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. So there's not going to be any confusion in heaven. We're going to know each other, and we are going to be fully known. But there's something here about the glorified bodies and some kind of a, the representation of Moses and Elijah before Peter that he already understood their identity. And this is comforting because I get this question a lot of times from people, you know, when I, well, I know my loved ones, well, I know my kids, well, I know my parents, well, I know my husband and my wife, and well, I know my great-grandparents, and well, I know my friends, and yeah, you'll know them. They will be recognizable. And you may not have ever even met them. You know, I expect to meet some great-great-grandparents of mine that I hope are in heaven that I've never met. But there will be this instant understanding. And even while Peter is here on earth, there seems to be imparted to him an ability to recognize Moses and Elijah for who they really were, even though he had never met them. So some interesting stuff that's going on here. Now, it says in verse 6, that when the disciples heard this, the voice of God from heaven, this is my son whom I love, With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, Peter, James, and John, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Again, it's just putting this... There's a proper timing. You don't need to talk about this. Let's just keep it between friends. 
And then in verse 10, the disciples asked him, why then did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure Elijah comes and will restore all things, but I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished, in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Now, this is interesting because John the Baptist himself said that he was not Elijah, And yet, when the Gabriel angel appeared to John the Baptist's father before John was even conceived, Gabriel said in Luke 1.17 that he is to be named John, Yohanan, and that he comes in the spirit and power of Elijah. That's what the angel Gabriel said in Luke 1.17. John the Baptist did fulfill a portion of the coming of Elijah. Why, is, why are the disciples asking this? Because in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, the last book of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi talks about the coming of Elijah before that great and terrible day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and children to their fathers. And Gabriel, the angel, in Luke 1 specifically says that about John the Baptist, that he will be an instrument that God will use to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and children to their fathers. But, and so in that sense... John, though he's not literally Elijah, he fulfills that part of Elijah's ministry, and Jesus even validates it right here. And that's why the disciples knew that, John, that Jesus was talking about John the Baptist. But make no mistake, there is still another literal coming of Elijah. Because in Malachi 4.5, when Malachi said that, he says that Elijah will come before the great and terrible day of our Lord. That is a statement of judgment. The great and terrible day of the Lord is a statement of the tribulation period. John the Baptist did not come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And Elijah himself will come again, which is why many believe, as do I, that Revelation chapter 11, when it speaks of the two witnesses who come to the earth, though they are not named, their powers are named, one breathes fire and one turns water into blood. Sounds to me like Elijah and Moses. And they will be used by God during the tribulation period as evangelists to evangelize the truth about Jesus. And that's why after Revelation 11, there's 144,000 Jews who get saved because of the testimony and the, the preaching of Elijah and Moses. Now again, we can only somewhat put things together to arrive at at Elijah and Moses, the identity of the two witnesses in Revelation 11. It is not explicitly stated that those are the two, but many believe, as do I, that that they will come again as the fulfillment of the two witnesses. And in that sense, then, Elijah fulfills Malachi 4, verse 5, that he's coming before the great and terrible day of the Lord. So now they know that he was speaking about uh, John the Baptist. Verse 14, when they came to the crowd, now now here, let me just set again the tone. They're up on this mount, the time of transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. They're coming down off the mountain. They're having this conversation about Elijah and John the Baptist. They're going to get down off the mountain now and be reunited with the nine other apostles. And while they've been away, something's been happening. And so here's what's been happening. Verse 14, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. 
I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Now, stop right there. Because here, I, this, is fun, this is a funny story to me, okay? Not, not, not because this boy is sick here. He's going to get healed. But because while Jesus and Peter and James and John are up on the Mount of Transfiguration, there's a scene happening down at the base of the mountain. And that is that here comes this dad with his son who has seizures. And, he, and, and when Jesus shows up, the father says to Jesus, I brought my son for your disciples to heal. They, they tried. They couldn't heal him. Now, here's what I'm wondering. What did they try? Because they didn't just stand there and go, well, you have to wait till Jesus comes. We... They tried something because he says they tried and they could not. Now, I'm thinking about all the different ways that Jesus has been healing up to this point. What we're going to find out is the little boy is possessed by a demon. What they need to do is cast out a demon, but they're not doing that. So they're like, let's see, we saw Jesus spit. Why don't we try that? And, you know, I'm seeing him spitting on this kid. You know, one time, didn't he? Yeah, you know what? He mixed mud. Let's let's just lather him up with mud. They're giving him a mud bath. They're doing everything they can. They're all sitting there going, this is going to work. Thomas is like, I don't think so. I don't think so. It's not going to work. And, and this scene is happening where they're all just trying to yay and, and all this kind of stuff. And nothing is working. And Jesus comes down off the mountain and he's just like, oh. And, and this is what he says. Verse 17. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. Oh, my goodness. I cannot. But look at this kid in mud. I can't believe he didn't spat all over. This is terrible. Now, this is just Gary's paraphrase, all right? I'm just having this scene of what did they try while the dad is like, this is not working. This is terrible. Jesus, thank God you are here. God, you are here because they tried all these different things and nothing worked. They're slicking them down with oil. They got, they're doing everything they can. And Jesus says, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. And Jesus then, verse 18, rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed from that moment. So this, this kid was possessed by a demon. Uh, we don't know his age, so maybe he's not, not, not necessarily a kid. Maybe he's an adult, and, and his older father brings him. Uh, but this, this demon caused him to have seizures and, and would often throw him, notice this, into the fire. It wasn't just that he had these grand mal seizures, but this, this demon was actually trying to kill this guy by throwing him into the fire. And Satan is trying to kill you too. And, you know, we touched on this a couple of weekends ago as well. Just this idea that, you know, Jesus said, I came to give you life that you might have it more abundantly. He says, but the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, have life to its fullest. And Satan is on a wicked path to try to uh, steal and kill and destroy as many people as possible. And suicidal thoughts, that's from Satan. Just the idea that life is not worth living and, and, I, and I, just, I should just check out because, you know, I can't make it and, and life is terrible and nobody loves me, nobody cares. That is just Satan's constant broken record to try to get as many people to take their own lives. And Jesus is wanting us to know the truth is that you are loved and that Jesus died for you and he offers you life and life more abundantly. It's not that every day is going to be wonderful and perfect, but it is that in those days that aren't even so wonderful and perfect, Jesus says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And in those days when you feel like you can't carry yourself, Jesus will carry you and he will walk with you and he will take care of you and he will comfort you and he will love you. 
But Satan is always trying to kill people. And here he is. He's possessed this guy, trying to throw him into the fire. Jesus casts out the demon. He rebukes the demon. And then verse 19, then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why, should it, why couldn't we drive it out? You know, privately, they're like, what? We didn't, we didn't know what to do. And he replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, you know, was he saying literally to be able to move mountains? Because I don't see that happening. The disciples never prayed and moved a mountain. Except that probably in the context he means this mountain as in an obstacle. I know this seems huge. This is a huge obstacle. But if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, notice it's not the, the amount of faith. It is the object of our faith. That's what God honors. Not the amount Jesus says, you can have as little faith as a little mustard seed, which is the smallest seed known. It is the, if God is the object of your faith, then God will move the obstacles. It's not how much faith. It's not the amount. It's the object of our faith that God will honor. And he will move mountains in that sense. Does he mean it literally? I don't, I don't believe so. And he, and he says, he, but he means it in, again in terms of principle. The, the, the huge obstacles in our lives are not immovable when God is doing his wonderful, miraculous work in our lives. And he says, nothing will be impossible for you. You know, we have to be careful that it's not just all of this, you know, name it and, and claim it and blab it and grab it and all this kind of stuff that people get into. Just you know, If I just say it, if I confess it, if I speak over this, it's going to happen because I have faith to God to do these kind of things. Look, we have to always balance Scripture with Scripture. And in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, it says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. I run into Christians sometimes who say, no, no, you don't need to add that part in your prayers if it's, if it's God's will. You just name it. You claim it. You pray it. You speak it. Wait a minute. The Bible just says there in 1 John 5, 14, that God hears us if we pray according to his will. And by the way, the Son of God himself in the Garden of Gethsemane said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But if it's not, not my will, but your will be done. Where do we ever get into this nonsense that, you know, don't even bother to defer to the will of God. Let's just go ahead and speak out what we want and it's supposed to happen because we believe this is the mountain. And then by faith, it just we take stuff out of context and we blow it completely out of proportion, which it isn't necessarily what Jesus even intended. Is God going to honor every single prayer that we ask? Of course not. Do you give your kids every single thing they want? I mean, if God answered every prayer that I had, I'd be swimming in a sea of donuts and visiting Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory. But there's just some, you know, bizarre things that, that we want, and the Father's up in heaven going, mm, not, not good for you, so it's not my will, and even though you think so, I, I'm doing it because I love you to not give you what you want. This is not some, you know, some blank check that Jesus just says, you know, ask whatever you want, and God's just going to do this and do that. No, it's within the context of, is it his will? And what is the obstacle? Not necessarily literally. There's no, there's no example of any disciple praying and moving a mountain. Well, verse 22, let's, when they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. They're starting to get this now. It's settling in and, it's, and they're grieved over it. And after Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, back to his home base of ministry there at the Sea of Galilee. 
The collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the sons are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that, this is an important statement, but so that we may not offend them, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. This is only recorded in Matthew's gospel and nowhere else. Matthew's a tax collector. Remember. So he's kind of liking this story. And it's a miracle. Jesus pays for his taxes out of the mouth of a fish. Oh, would it be that it could be that easy for you and me? Let's go fishing and pay our taxes. But then you'd have to find fish that had 50% of your income. But anyway, <laughs> but this is a miracle that Jesus, that Jesus performs. And interestingly, he says there, you know what? He says, in consideration of the fact that he is the Son of God and really a citizen of heaven, not a citizen of earth, He's not obligated to pay his taxes in the strictest sense. Don't use this as a proof text. You have to balance it again with Romans 13, that no authority is given unto men except that which God has established, and if we owe taxes, pay taxes, okay? And so we do. Sometimes they're exorbitant, and and so we cringe, but but we do. But what I want you to focus on in, in the closing couple of minutes we have here is that Jesus says in verse 27, but so that we may not offend them, let's do what let's do this but so that we may not offend them. Sometimes it is an important principle to remember that you and I are supposed to do things not simply out of obligation, but also being sensitive as to whether or not it might offend someone if we don't, and vice versa. Sometimes we don't do something because it might offend another person. And Jesus is teaching us and reminding us, and and Paul writes about this in Romans too, not chapter 2, but Romans also. He says, you know, you shouldn't eat meat or drink wine or do anything that will cause another person to stumble. Wait a minute, you know, I have my rights and I'm just going to do whatever I want. I don't really care what other people think and it's only between me and Jesus. No, it's not. It's not just between you and Jesus. It's between you and Jesus and your witness. And there are people who are watching. Now, you have to leave whatever people think up to God and them, okay? Sometimes you're going to be doing the best you can, and people will misjudge you, and they will say false things about you, and okay, you can't control that. But to the degree that you and I can be careful of what we do so that it would not offend someone, we should. We should be concerned about that. We should be aware of our actions and our speech and our behavior and things so that we do things in consideration that it wouldn't offend someone, or we don't do something out of consideration that it might offend someone. And don't, you know, don't be bothered by that. I, I, I want to just live my life and just me and Jesus, and I don't want anybody else to... It's, it's just part of bearing his name and being aware, as we were talking about this past weekend, that we all have this, this witness. And uh, Jesus has called us to be his witnesses. And there are some things we do, not just because it's obligated, but we do them because we don't want to create an offense. Just think about that. Maybe the Lord is calling you to do something or not to do something because you want to be careful that it's not offensive to someone else. And by this will all men know that you are his disciples. His disciples. 
Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Matthew on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can download our mobile app, too, while you're there. It's under On The Go. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45, as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. CornerstoneConnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. And you can meet the staff. If you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us to study Matthew, and we hope you'll tune in again to learn more about Jesus. That's right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know